All right, I guess we should start. <clears throat> okay. Hello. Fine. <laughs> uh, welcome to Seattle on Tap. I am Courtney Jacobson. And I am Ashley Toten. Um, as I'm sure you all have guessed, we are yet again um, recording in quarantine. So you'll have to forgive us if you hear any weird um, technical issues. And um, <laughs> if you can hear the, the lawnmower <laughs> that's going on next door to my house. Because, uh, oh, well. <laughs> How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. I got back on the bandwagon of exercising after a week of being very apathetic uh, <laughs> and laying around and eating a shocking amount of popcorn <laughs> while watching old creepy movies. Mm, nice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just kind of nice to take a break, though. Well, I told you the other day it occurred. I guess it was last episode, technically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a sudden realization last week that I don't have to keep busy the whole time. I'm allowed to relax. (laughs) Yeah. So you were just, you know, relaxing for made up time. Yeah. Or something. Or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It makes sense in my head. (laughs) It makes sense in my head too. Maybe we have the same mental health problem. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe that's why we like each other. That's why we're such good friends. Exactly. (laughs) what you're gonna say mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man oh i'm gonna take a drink of my delicious beer what are you drinking Ooh, i just took a huge swig um oh. ooh, let me finish swallowing there you should so <laughs> don't choke <laughs> so i actually haven't had an ipa in a while which is funny because mm. a few episodes ago we were joking around about how yeah. all we were drinking was ipas yeah <laughs> um but I'm oh. back on that bandwagon, at least for the day. Um, and I'm drinking the Wayfinder Flower in the Kettle Hazy IPA, mm. uh, which I is love hazy. fucking delicious. <laughs> um, it is from Portland, Oregon. Um, it's really super juicy, but not like that milkshakey thick uh, okay. situation. Yeah. It's super well balanced. The fruitier, juicy notes are more like drier citrus notes, like grapefruity kind of flavors. Mm. Um, and it is Mosaic, Amarillo, and Simcoe hops. Okay. And it's 6.7%. So it's pretty normal, I feel like. Amarillo. I've seen a, I've seen a few beers with Amarillo hops in them lately. I really like that flavor. Yeah, it's that. I think that's the one that has that more um, grapefruity flavor. Mm-hmm. Simcoe, too. Say. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's very well balanced. Mm. And you fan. just can never, ever, ever go wrong with mosaic hops in my not so humble opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and your opinion is correct all the time. <laughs> Valid. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> um, so I am drinking a beer that kind of goes along with my story. Um, it's called Mr. Sandman. Um, It's an Imperial Stout from River North Brewery in Denver, Colorado. Um, And I'm going to go first today because this beer is 11.9% APV. APV. (laughs) Well, then you better get to talking because you're already slurring. I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
this always happens. It's like right before we start drinking, really, I can't say words. I oh, so I kind of want to steal a thing from another podcast at some point, mostly because it oh, seems yeah. fucking hilarious. I and, remember you telling me about this. Yeah. Well, they do this really funny blooper reel thing. And so all the shit. So like our listeners don't know. Mm-hmm. We edit out our like chatting. So we've already had like a yeah. good hour and a half long conversation or something. Yeah. Uh, they put all of that shit together and play it for people. Oh, and I it is that. hilarious. That'd be a good thing for our website for sure. Agreed. Yes. Mm. This beer is really good. Um, I interrupted myself instead of telling a little bit more about it. Um, Imperial Stout, obviously, with it being 11.9 ABV, alcohol by volume, not per volume, <laughs> although that works. It does. It still makes sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> has notes of raspberry and cherry with dark chocolate and a velvety mouthfeel. Um, I am definitely getting like the, that like Baker's bittersweet chocolate kind of, because it's kind of got that bite. Mm. Um, and definitely that velvety mouthfeel and it's very like roasty, toasty kind of put that in your technical term, but (laughs) roasty, toasty, (laughs) roasty, toasty. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) I said that this goes a little bit along with my story today. So Um, Mr. Sandman to me is like Sandman, the dream man makes me think of sleeping Mm -hmm. or being knocked out. So my story today is about the Shanghai sailors of the West Coast. And um, for those that do not know what Shanghaiing or crimping is, it is the act of kidnapping a person to make them serve as a sailor by methods of either drugging, putting them in debt, or violence. So, like, knocking them over the head. Yikes. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, this started um, in the late 1700s in Great Britain. Um, They had what they called press gangs. They would impress upon... (laughs) these people and force them into Great Britain's Royal Navy. And um, that was at a time, I mean, obviously way, way back then sailing wasn't really safe. Not that it's extra safe now, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's definitely improved quite a bit um, since the 17, 18 and 1900, early 1900s. Um, And so it, wasn't always easy to get people willing to work on these ships that were quite literally the way to expand your world and to get products to and from other places. Um, so um, this act of crimping or shanghaiing sailors spread into popularity as the trade industry increased. Um, London, Hong Kong, and New York were some of the first major port cities that were, um, excuse me, burp. Um, (laughs) We drink beer, burps happen. It's really Um, true. (laughs) (laughs) 
if burps offend you, you need a new podcast. <laughs> just, just, uh, just a little note there. Um, <laughs> uh, London, Hong Kong, and New York were some of the first major port cities to be known for crimping. They were just outrageously dangerous to visit um, if you were a man of ability. If you could, if you seemed like you could, um, I don't know, lift things and had strength about you or anything like that, and you went into a bar, you may not come out of it um, by your own volition. You might get drugged or knocked out and wake up on a ship. They were pulling the old bunny foo-foo routine and bopping them on the head. Exactly. (laughs) Um. They would, um, so back then it was a law that if you were on, if you signed up as a sailor and you were on the ship, you could not legally leave the ship until your date was up. Um, so you, ideally you said, I'm going to sign on to be a sailor for, you know, till we get to this port, um, and back. And I will make said amount of money. Usually it was a lot because it was a dangerous job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but the thing is, you couldn't just get your um, advance in payment and then jump off the ship. So that was their way of protecting the shipping industry from losing all their money because they didn't want people to, you know, take their advance and then not sail. So... Then (laughs) people started taking advantage of that. Um, Bar owners and um, different people that needed to make a quick buck would, like I said, drug them or um, somehow find a way like gambling. They would swindle them out of money. So they were indebted to this person. And then they'd be like, well, you could be a sailor go on the ship and then they will give you your advance you pay me out of your advance you go do your sailing pay off your debt that way and then I'm already paid off we move on we're in good standing so it ended up moving to the states obviously New York one of the ports um and then over to started spreading. And as we know, the West was the wild fucking West. It certainly fucking so, was. Yeah. <laughs> so cities on the West Coast started being pretty prolific and horrific for this as well. Um, San Francisco, Portland, Astoria, Seattle. And Port Townsend were all really, really dangerous ports for this as well. Um, In San Francisco, you had people like James Shanghai Kelly. He ran a number of bars, a saloon, and a boarding house. Usually a boarding house was just like a quick little, you. there's a saloon down below and then rooms up for rent for the night you know usually mostly for sailors or just people traveling through nothing fancy um but these were the people that would start to do a lot of the crimping crimping um his biggest 
most famous heist as far as being a Shanghaier or crimper um, <clears throat> happened in the late 1870s. Um, Shanghai Kelly, uh, for his birthday, threw himself a giant exclusive extravagant party on a rented paddle steamer boat. So like those giant boats that have the big like kind of windmill looking mm-hmm. those things paddle. Are really cool. Yeah. Um, on the back, he rented one of those and he in- invited all these able-bodied men that were business associates and, you know, things like that. People that were up and coming and wanted to be kind of rubbing elbows with, with rich people, whatever. Um, invited them on board, went out on the bay, and he drugged the whiskey with opium. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he knocked out, like, everyone that he invited <laughs> with this drugged opium whiskey and he had pre-planned everything he had three ships awaiting out um in the bay and um once everybody was knocked out him and his little cronies um back then they'd call them runners because they also would run out and find people and do all the the more dirty deeds to get men as sailors um so he and his cronies took these guys all the entire boatload of people uh off to the three awaiting ships and sold them at like they say 30 to 50 dollars a head is what he got for the actual boatload of men yeah (laughs) three ships worth of sailors he he kidnapped all of these people Jesus. So then they they woke up the next day as sailors and it was against the law for them to leave the ship. So they were fucked. And he got all their advances in addition to like finder's fees. Uh, Yeah. So he got a huge payout that day for his birthday. That's what he gave himself for his birthday present. (laughs) Um, But also so like now he's unloaded his entire guest list onto these three ships and he's like oh shit this was a pretty well um publicized event what the fuck am i gonna be doing when i get back to the dock and it's just me and like four dudes getting off um so he started kind of panicking and then all of a sudden an sos comes out another paddle steamer was out at the time and they had hit a giant rock and had to be saved so he swoops in acting like look at me i'm saving you that's that's all you have to pay attention <laughs> this will make everything to. better <laughs> my good deed will hide my bad deed it did it fucking did so he he loads all these people he's like don't worry i have plenty of room it's just me and my four four buddies or however many i'm just picking a number out of a hat um <laughs> at least four people to load all that many anyway i digress so then they continued paddle boating around steamboating around partying for his birthday a little bit and then they get to the dock nobody notices that it's not the same people oh geez he gets away with fuck. It. what the fuck 
So um, San Francisco had quite a few, I mean, all up and down the West Coast, there were tons. Um, But there was one, um, at the time, there were a lot of writers that would travel around with people that did various things, um, especially pirates and things like that. And they would just write about their travels and things like that. Well, there was one person that wrote about uh, the crimping. And so he, this person wrote down a lot of the names, which me, which makes it look like San Francisco had a ton of them. It's just that there was someone that wrote down their, these people's names and later released it, you know, way, way, way later when after people had either disappeared, died or gotten in trouble already. But, um, there was not a lack of people in the other cities on the West coast. It's just, they weren't written about. Um, but some that were, um, another in San Francisco was, um, Miss Piggott. I was like, (laughs) yeah, Miss Piggott. Um, she owned and operated a saloon and it had a trap door in the floor. Is that where she had (laughs) Kermie? <laughs> um and and the rest of the gang. Um, <laughs> she served, I love this one because it just cracks me up. Um she would serve these men her special cocktail that I in my head am calling the Shanghai surprise. <laughs> um <laughs> surprise. <laughs> I know. Oh shit. <laughs> it had equal parts gin, whiskey and brandy, which is like <laughs> You are stupid if you're like, yeah, sounds good. I'll take one of your special cocktails. You might as well walk into a bartender and be like, hi, I want a blackout tonight. Can we do that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But she also had a super secret ingredient. It was opium. Like, (sighs) opium. Yeah. Everybody on opium. What's going on? And laudanum. (laughs) Sometimes laudanum, depending on which is down opium. So. Same thing. (laughs) Shanghai surprise. <laughs> if so you ever try these... to serve me that when we eventually go back to work, I will probably just not be my crying. friend anymore. I'm just probably going to start crying. <laughs> she wants to kill me. I, I um, legitimately don't know where I would find opium. So I think we're safe. <laughs> Sweet. Oh, God. <laughs> so once these people would pass out from her, um, specialty cocktail that she served them um she'd pull a lever and that dropped them down through the trap door in the floor down onto a mattress that she already had set up and basically they'd be in a cage until she was um able to take them over to whatever ship she was selling them to um damn yeah (laughs) so now let's move up to astoria and portland oregon Move up the coast. Um, and we come to Joseph Bunko Kelly. Bunko, like that game, that, that card game people play. <laughs> um, at first, I'm like, so did he invent the card game? <laughs> no. Um, it was said that he was able to spin Bunkum into cash. And I'm thinking Bunkum is like a bullshit, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so he could 
swin- swindle just about anybody out of money. Um, it was rumored that Bunko Kelly and his associ- associates used a series of tunnels below Portland's waterfront area um, to transport their crimped sailors. And that's how they got away with so many. Supposedly, he and his crew crimped over 2,000 sailors, which just... I'm sorry, how many? 2,000. What the... How... Were were even that many people living in Portland? (laughs) Like, fuck. (laughs) At the time, Portland was one of the absolute busiest, crazy busiest ports. It had... At any given day, over a hundred windjammers, which was the main type of sail ship. You know, that used. actually does make sense. It's like mm-hmm. pretty central to the West Coast. Yeah. Of at least major and, cities anyway. Yeah. And they were, and this is a major major port where um, they were being Shanghaied, which the term is called Shanghaied because a lot of the sailors went straight to shanghai i was wondering that i was like why do they call it that because of all the spice trade and sadly um slavery and you know all the super cool things like that um so that's why now um people in portland lovingly call these tunnels that are under underground near the waterfront they call them the shanghai tunnels (laughs) bring from a ship all the way under majority of the the port business to whatever business needed that stuff without having to weave through the day-to-day traffic of people um of course they used for super fun things like um Bling ring, cushion, um, crimping sailors. Um, so all the good stuff. <laughs> um, and later. <laughs> oh. So. Call back why? to episode one. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll probably come back to that again. Because. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> days of the days of no liquor allowed um so yeah one of his most famed moments of crimping was one night in october of 19 or 19 nope 92 <laughs> of 1892 he was out looking to find basically 20 men to fill an order um the ship the flying prince needed 20 men and he needed them quick because he was, I believe it said he was headed up to, this was also during the time of the Yukon gold rush. So he needed to leave fast. Um, and so um, Bunky out, he's going to go over to one of his favorite saloons, the Snug Harbor Saloon. And just as he's coming up to it, he spies um, a cellar door right there. And it's open, and he kind of looks in, and it looks like there's a bunch of guys passed out. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Cha-ching! 
there's about two dozen men laying on the floor of this cellar out cold. And apparently they had um, broken into this cellar door, assuming that because it's directly next to this saloon, assuming that it belonged to the saloon, they see that there are a bunch of barrels down there. And they're like, hell yeah, cheap whiskey, (laughs) a.k.a. free. So they break in and immediately break into these barrels and start just guzzling the liquid. And then a bunch of them start throwing up and wincing from pain and passing out. Turns out that was formaldehyde and the cellar belonged to Johnson and Sons Undertakers. Oh my These God. guys were dumb. I wish you could see my face right now. Oh. I was like, oh no. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> they fucking did it to themselves. <laughs> um, so they're all passed out, some of them dead, because that's poison. Um <laughs> and this Bunko Kelly guy is like, sweet. And he gets a hold of his little cronies and they (laughs) little cronies sounds like a great hip-hop group it does (laughs) but like it's a bunch of kids they're all like 10 sad (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) bunko kelly and his (laughs) rap group the little cronies um (laughs) it's a hard knock life man It was then, for sure. Um, They start (laughs) grabbing all these guys. Like I said, two dozen. So, 24 guys. Um, Carry him onto the ship. Um, He spins some BS tail. He he throws out some bunkum. And um, (laughs) telling this captain that they he saw him in the bar. And they were all overindulging. And he, like. I don't know, helped them overindulge to the point where they all passed out and he took advantage and was like, here you go. And he collected about $50 a person for that. So by the next morning, the captain realized that over half of these men were dead and poisoned. And so he started flipping out and yelling and spreading the news that this Bunko Kelly guy had quite literally given him, sold him dead bodies um, as sailors. And he basically lost all credibility with all the captains and pretty much kind of got ousted from the crimping biz. Um, and now we'll move up the coast a wee bit more up here to the Seattle area. And um, we'll go to Billy Goal. Uh, He wasn't just a crimper. He was also a serial killer. Oh, good. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Because, you know, I like to just keep getting worse. (laughs) (laughs) So Billy Goal, born in Germany, um, came to the U.S., Settled in um, Aberdeen, Washington, uh, birthplace of Kurt Cobain, very well-known, super sad area to live. Um, 
It is really pretty out there, though, which is, it is a bummer. Crazy. Yeah. Because it There's is sad. It seems so sad. Much, they have, it's something like the most cloudy days or something. Well, they're in like a weird air. Anyway, continue. Yeah. I could talk about yeah. that shit all yeah. day. <laughs> right. So he was a bartender and would overserve people and then steal their money and jewelry and sell them off, you know, as sailors. But then he also ended up becoming an, a union official in the Sailors Union of the Pacific. So basically that just means that he sat at the union office. He had shifts at the union Sailors Union office. And when sailors would come into port and have to check in, like, get their stamps or whatever the hell they needed to do for proving that they were in whatever port. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they would, because they got paid from their whole voyage, sometimes they would kind of use these unions as a little bank so they didn't have to walk around with all their money. Um, and when some of these sailors would check in with old Billy Goal, and maybe they had a lot of money to set aside with him, he'd be like, oh, are you, you just passing through or do you live in there? What's, you know, what's your story? And if they happen to be just passing through for a short amount of time and didn't have family that was waiting on them, he'd basically just shoot the shit for a bit and figure out their story and if they were going to be missed then he'd you know do his job but if they were not going to be missed he would murder them and dump them into the um wishka river that ran right behind their offices (laughs) yeah and he'd take all their money and all their everything so he I won't delve a ton into this guy because that's just kind of getting off topic and into the like serial killer side of things. But he ended up being arrested and charged for murder. Um, He was sentenced to life in prison where up in um, Walla Walla State Prison and which is, you know, Walla Walla, Washington is never not fun to say. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Where he died of complications of syphilis. So at least he died in a super uncomfortable way like, yeah <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> yeah probably like not. it was yeah he had like breathing issues and pneumonia and all kinds of crazy things but yeah complications of syphilis <laughs> so the last debbie downer i will talk to you about <laughs> um the last <laughs> big time shanghai <laughs> Um, that I'll highlight is Maxwell Levy. Um, he was the self-coined king of crimpers in Port Townsend. And he was so prolific at being a crimper or Shanghaier that Port Townsend was the crimping capital of Washington. It, and basically would rival Portland, even though Portland's port was bigger so if that says anything for how motivated he was <laughs> no kidding god yeah he was from saint saint <laughs> he was from <laughs> where the fuck was he from no he was from <laughs> san francisco um 
he came to Port Townsend in the late 1880s. It was like 1887 or 88. Um, he became a partner in the Chicago Clothing Company. That kind of fizzled out. He tried out his hand going up to Alaska and being part of the Yukon Gold Rush. Kind of didn't work for him. He ended up um, finally coming back down to Port Townsend. And long story short, becoming a crimper. Oh, yeah. Um, he bought into a boarding house and saloon called Sailor's New Home. <laughs> Foreshadow much? <laughs> um, <laughs> where he found his crimping victims there. Um, it started out just kind of, I don't want to say innocently, but maybe it started out slowly, I guess, um, <laughs> as basically just a method to get payment for lodging from the sailors because they would come to port, spend all their money on alcohol and prostitutes and, you know, partying it up because they've been out to sea for however freaking long. And, um, and then they need somewhere to sleep, but they wouldn't have money to pay for the night. So he would do the old, okay, you know, it was really common for, for boarding houses to take like loans against their next sailing voyage. And so he would front them the room and then walk them down to the ship the next day. They'd get their, their, um, advance for pay. He would take his cut for, you know, letting them stay the night. He'd go back up, they'd get on the ship you know, end of story. Um, <laughs> but eventually he started getting sick of always doing this. And sometimes the guys would try to run off without actually getting on the ship. And so he started hiring um, runners himself and he would get doing the same old thing where he would drug the guys or he'd have his runners knock them unconscious and take them off to the ships. And at one point, um, it was... Whoops. Whoops, lost my notes for a second. There. Whoops. <laughs> um, <laughs> at one point, it was so hard to find able-bodied men to even knock out and swindle as sailors um, that he started doing what they called double crimping. He would get a whole crew, sell them off to a captain, and then later that night, his runners would go up to the, the ship, unload the sailors, have them, you know, like convince them, hey, it's, I know it sucks to be stuck on the ship, but I've got, you know, a better job for you, a way for you to make more money and, you know, better conditions, yada, 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 spin some bullshit tale and sell these guys off to a different captain like sell them steal them resell Ugh. them <laughs> yeah um and he ended up getting um sort of in trouble there were a couple different times when lawsuits were brought against him but every single time he kind of swindled his way out of it he knew somebody or he swayed the jury somehow. He never once was charged with anything. 
which is just nuts to me because he did it for 20 years. Yeah. I mean, he was literally drugging and kidnapping people and holding them as slaves. And selling them and reselling them. It's fucking (laughs) nuts. Yeah. So he ended up uh, retiring because the crimping industry was um, going away. Um, obviously all of this had to be addressed legally because people were all being screwed and murdered and, you know, lots of bad things. So in 1872, Congress passed the Shipping Commissioners Act, and that stated that sailors had to sign onto a ship in the presence of a federal shipping shipping commissioner. Hey, good idea, guys. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was good, but also those guys could be bought too. Oh. So, you know, not totally foolproof. Then in 1884, um, so 12 years later, um, the Dingley Act, which I just can't. (laughs) Dingley? (laughs) Okay, seriously now. The Dingley Act was passed, um, (laughs) preventing semen from, (laughs) I'm so not nimble, um, (laughs) preventing semen from taking advances on pay. I feel like Um, you're telling, trying to sell condoms to me right now. (laughs) So the, the sailors were not allowed to take advancements on pay. And it also meant that their allotments, so their pay, um, could only be collected by family members. Um, Later, they all kind of got pissed about that because they did still need to pay their boarding houses from time to time because they were bad at saving money. Um, So that they made it so that boarding houses could collect some of it. But it, yeah. And then eventually, in 1915, the Siemens Act of 1915 was passed, making crimping a federal crime, which, you know, maybe they should have done that in the first place. Um, And that made the whole thing stop. So they finally figured out a way to solve their problems. Also, um, around this time is when the steamships were getting more and more popular and so they didn't need as many sailors and the need for crimpers wasn't quite there as much anyway so that's that story jesus right god i had i'm gonna drink some more of my i had never heard of this before (laughs) Mm. there's actually a bar or two in seattle that is rumored um like the central saloon is now the yeah the central saloon is the oldest bar in seattle Mm -hmm. um and and it's like they and you know next door two doors down the jnm that's no longer open yeah um those two i read a bunch of the story but behind those um but anyway it's not confirmed, but there are rumors that they had trapdoors or that they were at least part of the whole crimping thing because of the Seattle underground being quite literally mm-hmm. underneath there. So there are the tunnels that are directly underneath those bars as well. 
Dang, so, that'd be so fucking creepy. Ugh. I know. I know. We need to go on this. Yes, we do. I, one of these days. I have the... li- literally lived here for 16 years now and I've never done it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm from here and I've never <laughs> done it. So <laughs> we have to go. <laughs> Shall we? That could be one of our special episodes. Yes. Uh, shall we take a little siesta? Yeah, let's take a little beer drinking break. And then come back and you can tell your story. BRB. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and we're back. Yay. I have also acquired a new beer because I drank mine pretty aggressively mm. through your story. <laughs> I'm glad I uh, did not do the same because now I have a half a beer to drink and listen to. <laughs> Yours is also real big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> so, you know, I can't disappoint. And there has to be some horrible fucking thing in all of my stories. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of what we do. <laughs> um, <laughs> today, I am telling the story of Elmer McCurdy, uh, which I had never heard of, so I'm ho- hoping you haven't either, and I hope this is all surprising. Mm. Yeah, I don't know the name. All right. So on January 1st of 1880, um, Elmer yeah. McCurdy was born to a 17-year-old young lady named Sadie McCurdy. Um, oh. Obviously, the baby was given her name, which is because she was unwed. Um, Poor thing. That was not a time not. to be unwed. Uh, and he was born in Washington, Maine, by the way. Um, hmm. So due to the fact that they did not know who the father was, um, her older brother, George, and his wife, Helen, ended up adopting the baby and just saying that they were the parents, essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. When Elmer was about 10 years old, George passed away from tuberculosis. So Sadie, Helen, and Elmer all together moved to Bangor, Maine, And then shortly after that move, Sadie decided that she was going to tell Elmer the truth and explain that she was, in fact, the mom and uh, that she didn't know who his dad was. Um, Mm. Elmer did not take this news well um, and grew into being a teenager that was super rebellious and really, really resentful of his family. Um, And around this time, started drinking really, really heavily, which was, I left it out of some of my notes, but he literally was just constantly fucking drinking when he got older. Um, So at some point as a young man, Elmer went to live with his grandfather and began to apprentice as a plumber. Uh, It was said that he was a really good worker and was doing really well for himself. But then they had the economic turndown like in the late 1890s um, Mm -hmm. and he became unemployed. Um. In August of 1900, his mom passed away, and then shortly after that, his grandfather also passed away. 
Um, and he ended up leaving Maine and went to work as a lead miner and a plumber all over the eastern United States. But sadly, due to the fact that he was such a severe alcoholic, uh, he was never able to really hold down a job. And I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, he was probably grieving and dealing with a lot of other shit, too, which probably didn't help. Yeah. Um, he moved several times. Uh, he lived in quite a few cities uh, in Kansas, including Iola, which is where he was arrested in 1905 for public intoxication. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds about right. <laughs> Midwest does not approve. <laughs> After that short brush with the law, uh, he ended up moving to Missouri. Um, and then in 1907, oh. he ended up joining the army and was assigned to Fort Leavenworth, which is in Kansas. Uh, he became mm-hmm. a machine gun operator and was trained to use nitroglycerin for demolition purposes while he was there, which is sort of foreshadowing to some more of the story. Um, mm. He was honorably discharged on November 7th, 1910, and then he moved yet again to St. Kansas, St. Kansas, Jesus Christ, St. Joseph, Kansas. <laughs> ah. uh, and there he you The St. of Kansas. <laughs> Um, so in St. Joseph, Kansas, uh, he ended up meeting an army friend on November 19th. Elmer and his friend were arrested for possessing burglary paraphernalia, which was like chisels and hack saws and shit. Um, I, that's hilarious. You can get arrested for that. So the list of stuff he had on him was (laughs) chisels, hack saws, funnels for nitroglycerin, gunpowder, and money sacks. So they had kind of a lot of like... I feel like they may have been justified. I mean, yeah, but that would not fly <laughs> no. today. Like, <laughs> it's just duct tape and a baseball like, bat. Well, we can't prove like, what you're going to do with what? this. <laughs> yeah. um, so the St. Joseph Gazette reported that during their arraignment, McCurdy and his friend told the judge the tools weren't meant for burglary at all. They were actually tools that they needed right. because they were working on a foot-operated machine gun that they were inventing. Evidently, the court <laughs> totally bought the ship hook, line, and sinker, and on Janu- in January of 1911, he was found not guilty. After being released from jail, Elmer began a very short-lived and super not skillful life as a bank and train robber. Yes. Oh. <laughs> super not skillful. <laughs> super not skillful. We're getting into that right now. Oh, boy. Um, So Elmer decided to use the little bit of knowledge he gained from the military and the world of nitroglycerin and throw that into his robberies. Um, Generally, this ended up causing more problems than it was worth because he usually used the wrong amount, like pretty much every fucking time. (laughs) By March 1911, Elbert had moved to Oklahoma. Uh, He and another... He and three other men uh, decided they were going to rob a train after hearing that one of the cars had like $4,000 on board, which back then was like a Mm. shit ton of money. Mm -hmm. Um, They successfully stopped the train and located the safe. But naturally, Elmer used way too fucking much nitroglycerin on the safe store to open it. And the safe was completely destroyed. Most of the money was too. (laughs) (laughs) He and his partners ended up with about $450 in silver coins, most of which was melted or, like, completely wow. stuck to the frame of the safe. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Gotta, hold on. Wet my whistle. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in September of 1911, 
He tried his luck again, but this time it was the Citizens <laughs> Bank in Chow. I think it's called pronounced Chowtaga, Kansas. Uh, he had two other men with him, and in this heist, was also unsuccessful. Um, <laughs> they had to get through. So this is a bank, so they had to get through the outer vault and then get inside to get into the main vault where all the actual money was. Oh yeah. So, per usual, uh, Elmer decided to use nitroglycerin around the the door of the outer vault. Because some people just never freaking learn. So he blew the vault door off and it went completely through the bank, like completely destroyed the whole fucking bank. But it did not damage the safe inside. So then Elmer set up to blow the door off the little safe inside. I say little, I'm I'm assuming it's probably quite large, but you know. (laughs) It's big enough for people to go. So he sets up, he gets the old nitroglycerin out, but it never ignites. And at this point, they had already, like, they had spent a bunch of time breaking through walls and doing all the shit. They'd been there for several hours, so they just kind of called it a day. He and his accomplices ended up stealing about $150 in coins that were just, like, in a tray outside of the small safe. They were just like, no, we'll just take this shit and go. So he was real bummed out about that, obviously. And all of his yes. other failings. <laughs> and so later that night, he and the men all jumped a train to the Kansas border, or on the train, the blah, 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 on the train to the Kansas border. But they all went their separate ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Elmer ended up going yeah. to a friend's uh, ranch in northeastern Oklahoma um, and was hiding out in the hay shed on the property. Um, he was there for a few weeks. <laughs> and during that time, he was just getting shit faced like the entire time <laughs> also oh man i had to burn um so elmer mccurdy's finally <laughs> final robbery was on october 4th of 1911 near i think it's okisa oklahoma i don't know why that i cannot say all these names but okay. I'm hard. um he and two other men planned to rob a katie train which i had never heard of and i had to look up but it's um oh KD yeah. train and they kind of you should look it up. Mm-hmm. It's a weird historical thing I never knew. But it's basically like a money train. Or like a goods train yeah. or whatever. Like yeah. Armored. Yeah. Version armored of a train back in the of... olden days. Yeah. Um, this particular yeah. train had about four hundred thousand dollars in cash. Holy and it was supposed crap. to be there to pay off um the Osage Nation, which was one of the native nations down there. So I oh. think they're I'm yeah. very well familiar with that. I used to live by, or I actually went well, to high school. There like you go. High school, they so. come up in this a few times. <laughs> um, but so that, I think they, the goal was probably during a time when they were trying to pay off these people to, you know, when they were trying to get natives to only live on reservations and not own their actual land, essentially. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, mm-hmm. they goofed and ended up stopping a passenger train <laughs> instead. Yeah. These guys, it's like, I just imagine like the Three Stooges trying to rob people, like through this whole story. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, So they only ended up walking with about $46, two big jugs of whiskey that they were able to get from people on the train, a gun, a coat, and a watch. Um, Yeah. 
Super. Also noteworthy at this time. So because Elmer was a minor before this, he had contracted tuberculosis. So he was like super fucking sick at this time too. Um, oh. And that well. becomes relevant later. But um, so Elmer went back uh-huh. to his friend's ranch on October 6th. And again, he started just getting shit faced because he just stole this whiskey and sat up and was up all night uh, until the very early morning of October 7th. Um, shortly after having gone to sleep, Elmer ended up waking up and realized that he had been surrounded by three sheriffs. During all this time that he'd been poorly heisting all the things, a reward became available for his capture. So the sheriffs used some bloodhounds and tracked him down. Um, and according to the sheriffs, Uh Elmer fired the first shot, but he missed his target. And then they were basically having a full on shootout. For some length of time and they oh. i wrote my notes they for reals don't know which one um one they don't know who <laughs> of the three sheriffs shot him but one of them hit him right yeah. in the chest and killed him so after his death wow. and this is one of these fun stories where after their death the story does not end um uh-huh. so after elmer's death he was sent Come to an, an embalmer in pahuska oklahoma named Joseph L. Johnson. Um, So since his family was all dead and there was nobody to really claim him, the embalmer ended up using an arsenic-based preservative that they used to kind of longer preserve bodies for folks when they couldn't find the next of kin to give them a little more time. I also wrote in my notes, Mm -hmm. my personal assumption was that it was probably to preserve their face so that people could physically identify them, you know, if they weren't too sure. Mm -hmm. Um, cause they didn't, you know, they didn't have yeah. ways to DNA test and shit back then. Um, so the embalmer shaved his face and put him in a suit and then just stored him in the back of the funeral home <laughs> for some length of time. And then he realized that because nobody had come yet to claim him, he could probably turn a profit by putting his body on exhibit. I was going to say, did, is this one of the ones that got put uh-huh. up? For, yeah. So he charged everybody a nickel to see, quote, the bandit who wouldn't give up among several other exhibit names that they started calling Elmer's corpse. Um, And then soon after that, he started getting a lot of offers from carnivals to sell Elmer's corpse, but he would not sell it. So, yeah, I know. I I almost wrote in my notes barf after like a lot of these because I was like, oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so on October 6th, 1916, a man claiming to be Elmer's brother, Aver, contacted Joseph Johnson. Aver had also previously, to calling Joseph, contacted all the proper authorities to get all the shit in line to take custody of the body and said he was going to be shipping the body mm-hmm. to San Francisco for a proper burial. So the next day, he showed up to the funeral home with another guy who also claimed to be a brother of Elmer. And so Johnson had no choice, so he sent the body with them. However, the men did not send the body to San Francisco. It was instead shipped to Arkansas City, Kansas. His, quote, brothers were actually James and Charles Patterson. Uh, James Patterson owned the great Patterson Carnival shows. Yeah, a traveling Uh. carnival. They put Elmer's corpse uh, in the carnival as the outlaw who would never be captured alive until 1922, which is a long fucking time. Jeez. Um, 
Yes. That's gross. And in 1922, Patterson sold that carnival to a man named, I believe it's Lewis Sonny. Um, I'm going to just call him Sonny. So Sonny used Elmer's corpse in his traveling, quote, Museum of Crime show, which included wax replicas of famous outlaws such as Bill Doolin and Jesse James. In 1928, the corpse was part of the official sideshow that accompanied the tr- accompanied Jesus Christ. <laughs> it accompanied it. Um, <laughs> it accompanied the Trans American hey. Foot Race. In 1933, it was also used briefly to promote a film called Narcotic, and they literally put oh Elmer's corpse in the lobby of movie theaters and had him labeled as a dead dope fiend because he was so emaciated and fucked up looking. Oh my but they, God. Well, I think they didn't think he was real at the time. So, you know, there's mm-hmm. that too. Um, so after the death of yeah. Sonny in 1949, the corpse was put into storage in LA until 1964. Oh. Yes. <laughs> it's... This is insane. Worse and worse and worse, man. So in 1964, his son, Dan Sonny, let the filmmaker David F. Friedman borrow the corpse. And it was used in a 1967 film called She Freak, which I have never seen. And now I really want to. And then in 1968, Mm -hmm. Dan sold the body along with some other wax figures that had been in storage because his dad's thing was a wax figure situation. So he sold all of these okay. things like all together for about ten thousand dollars to a man named Spoony Singh. Yeah, uh, oh. I actually I was like Spoony. Okay, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the owner he was the owner of the Hollywood Wax Museum. So Singh purchased the mm. figures for two Canadian men who then exhibited them um, up by Mount Rushmore. But while they were using them mm-hmm. on exhibit there was a really bad windstorm and it caused some damage to Elmer's corpse in the way that the tips of his fingers and the tips of his ears uh, and his toes all blew oh. off. Yes. What? So I know it's so gross, oh. man. I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> slash not sorry. Um, so, <laughs> so when the corpse was finally returned to sing, he was like, dude, this is, I can't even use this thing anymore. So he sold it to a man named uh, Ed Leersch, I believe is how you pronounce his name, who was the owner of the Pike, which was like a boardwalk kind of amusement zone in Long Beach, California. So in 1976, McCurdy's corpse was hanging in the, quote, laugh in the dark exhibition. Yes. So So like a hundred years after he was... On December oh, wow. 8th, 1976, the very unsuspecting crew of the television <laughs> show The Six Million Dollar Man were filming scenes at the Pike. And during the shoot, one of the prop guys went over and moved what he thought was a, ma- a wax mannequin that, so for years, he'd been hanging, quote, in the gallows <laughs> and the laugh in the dark thing. And when he went to move mm-hmm. him, the arm broke off. And when the man looked down, he was like, oh, shit, I broke the thing and I got to fix it. And he looked down and saw a human bone with muscle around it and freaked the fuck out, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, again, uh, barf. I would be like, Blah! like I was going to say, is that where you have to? <laughs> um, so they called the police. And so his corpse was completely mummified by this point. They took him to yeah. the L.A. coroner's office. Um. <laughs> 
<laughs> the autopsy was done on December 9th by a man named Joseph Choi. And he reported that the body was of a human male who had died of a gunshot wound to the chest. Um, and he was, and it was completely petrified, covered in wax and had been covered in layers of paint. Um, he weighed about 50 pounds Ooh. and stood about five foot three. So you're five foot two, right? I'm five foot four and, and three a half. quarters. So he was like right between <laughs> our height, uh, which is yeah. creepy. Ugh. Uh, that is... You can also still see Ugh. he still had some like little bits of hair on his head. Um, and as you might recall, he was missing ears, oh, toes, yeah. and fingers. So that was great, too. Um, I'm just picturing that, like, mummified, whoever it is, body down um, on Dude, the there are a lot of pictures on the internet of Elmer throughout this uh-huh. process. And it yeah. is not cute. <laughs> like, it is not cool well i would assume um so during the examination they were able to see the incisions from his original autopsy and embalming um and then also in elmer's mouth they found tickets to the museum of crime alongside a penny that was dated 1924 (laughs) um which led them to contact dan suny the son for more information Uh um they did testing I want to Dude, go to the museum. I would be of super crime. into it. <laughs> uh, so they did testing on the tissue, and they found the presence of arsenic, which was a really common component in embalming, but only until about 1920. So that gave them more of an idea who this person might be, or at least a ballpark. And how many? I'm just like stuck on the whole arsenic thing. And how many people Dude, died? Probably a bunch. <laughs> like, also, ar- I don't know. Arsenic yeah. is just so dangerous to have around at all that I don't. I feel like they probably have found better ways by now. And then all the people that were handling this body. Well, and also call back to the beginning of the story. Dude worked in lead mines. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) So, yeah. The tests ended up showing that they did. um, That he had uh, tuberculosis, the man that had died. So that gave him uh-huh. more clues to who that might be. Mm. Um, they also found the bullet jacket from the bullet that had killed him, but not the bullet itself. Um, and they were able to determine based on hmm. the jacket that the bullet used was called, I had to look this up too, because I'd never heard of these terms. I don't know all the gun things, but it was called mm-hmm. a gas check, which I guess were commonly used between 1905 and 1940s. So they were able to, again, time place his body <laughs> that way. With all these findings right. and dental analysis and x-rays and all that kind of shit. And then also confirmation from Dan Sonny. They were able to determine that it was Elmer McCurdy. Um, so Crazy. by December 11th. <laughs> ooh, hello. I just like skimmed way past all my notes. Um, by Oops. December 11th, 1976, <laughs> the story of Elmer's journey was like all over the newspapers and TV and radio. Um, and some really nice people from funeral homes started reaching out and were offering to bury him free of charge. But the officials were like, you know, Aww. there might still be a relative that never got the chance. So let's wait it out and see if a family member, it's been a million bazillion years, but let's see. Oh my God. And then finally, when that didn't work, mm-hmm. a man named Fred Olds, uh, who represented the Indian Territory Posse of Oklahoma Westerns, eventually convinced the chief medical examiner slash coroner 
to allow him to bury the body in Oklahoma. Like, cause he was a historical, huh. you know, Western frontier person. Yeah. So finally, finally on April 22nd, 1977, it's... beginning first with a funeral procession, <laughs> Elma McCurdy was taken to the Boot oh. Hill section of the Summit View Cemetery in Guthrie, Oklahoma uh, there was a graveside service that had about 300 people in attendance. Um, Elmer McCurdy was laid in his final resting place next to another outlaw, Bill Doolin. And then just to make sure that trifling ass people wouldn't dig up his body and do all that bullshit again, they dumped two feet of concrete over the top of his oh, casket yeah. just so people could not move him again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is the end of the story i hope i hope we don't hear in the news that he got dug up or something that is wild (laughs) oh my god so crazy i was reading the story and i was like what how does this fucking happen to people (laughs) right he was more successful as a dead body than he was such a bummer live person (laughs) that's that is so sad But also, like, if you believe in the whole karma reincarnation kind of thing, that would mean that he was probably a super shitty person. Very likely. In his he didn't first sound life. like the best of folks. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Man. That's a trippy fucking that story. Is wild. <laughs> oh, wow. Good story. Man, we heard some like crazy ones. Everybody today. listening now is probably hopefully people are still listening. Roller coaster ride. Assuming they are, they're probably all trauma. I know. <laughs> you're <laughs> you're welcome. And drunk. <laughs> they're drinking along. <laughs> we should make a game where every time one I, of us burps, well, I notice have to take so a shot or something. In real life, I say the F word a lot. And I have said it a lot on this episode. So maybe the drinking game should be every mm-hmm. time we say fuck. Oh, yeah. You take a drink, but every time we burn, oh, you God, everybody's going to be so drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but they're going to think that we had the best episode. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Everybody drink. <laughs> yeah. Okay. New rule. <laughs> this is a thing, right? You, you have a podcast and you make rules? I think so. <laughs> We're going with it. <laughs> So we have our our shower thoughts segment. Um, We discussed whether or not the two of us have shower thoughts. You had a, you were kind of because of quarantine wanting to highlight different charities. um, Yes. That mattered to you. Um, Do you want to tell us about today's charity? I was trying to find things semi-relevant to stories which I realized isn't probably that important but uh I decided because this guy was floated around for so long unknown that an appropriate charity which I actually do think is a very important charity is the DNA Doe Project mm-hmm. um and then oh god yeah and so they're this is directly you. from their website it says the DNA Doe Project is an exciting new initiative that uses genetic genealogy to identify John and Jane Doe's, we have become a go-to organization for law enforcement agencies and medical examiners across the country, helping them solve their most intraceable cases. Um, 
So the whole goal is that if you donate, so if you go directly to DNA, D-O-E-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.org, you can donate directly to them and help Mm -hmm. funding so that they can help authorities identify Jane and John Doe's in cases um, and help their families know, you know, find their loved ones. So I think it's a pretty cool and important project. Yeah, it's it's a really, I mean, obviously it's helped solve a lot of crimes and in turn that helps a lot of people um, to just sort of yeah, finish out and mourn yeah. and have closure. Yeah, and it's just such a huge, huge important thing to have that closure I agree. when you don't get to have your person, you know, so... Um, are you gonna put a link? I will. Yes, to that I will, on our website. Yes, I will. Okay, cool. <laughs> I was gonna elaborate, but you don't need to know that. It'll be on the website. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I do need to know it. <laughs> don't tell me what I need to know. <laughs> um, my shower thought was just kind of a stupid little thing. Um as most of my shower thoughts are. Um, (laughs) Just, we are, I mean, we say say this every flipping week, but we obviously record and then it comes out, we're like four or five episodes ahead. Um, So by the time people hear this, it'll be five weeks in the future. Um, Today's April 29th, but um, (laughs) I just kind of, had a laugh today at the fact that the Pentagon released videos I saw, I saw of that, I UFOs. I was like, oh Christ, what's happening? And and it's I'm just like dying laughing because <laughs> like nobody fucking cares. It's been like this thing for so long, but now life is just so much more insane. Just the day-to-day aspect of our lives being in freaking quarantine and whoever thought we would live in a moment like this. And so UFOs, it's like, "Mm, we're going to just have to not (laughs) deal with that right now. Okay. We don't care. (laughs) Can um can you UFOs just come I'm sure back they're later? The fuck away they're like, ooh, <laughs> we saw War of the Worlds and we know y'all are Jeremy, and this is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was my my shower thought, just kind of laughing about the fact that this is something that people have I mean, it really was not that long ago that people were talking about bum rushing area 51 and which and now we're okay. all those people here's the thing <laughs> i am also fascinated by the idea of area 51 but it's fucking federal yeah. property y'all like you don't just barge in yeah it'd be like, like what like, are you really I'm gonna barge yeah. into the white house like no that's how you die dude like <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> uh, yeah i I can uh, rant well, about that. It's also not far off from too. all these damn protesters <laughs> that are like angry. Yeah. I just. <sighs> yeah. And how one of the people that 
led yeah, one of the protests. You're a now dumbass. Has That's what happens. Yeah. There are consequences to stupid act. Well, there are consequences to all actions, <sighs> especially the stupid ones. Anywho. <laughs> <sighs> oh, I said F word again. Drink. <laughs> yep. I already finished my beer, though. La Croix. All I have is La Croix. You're a fancy lady. I like to say it fancy. You are. Sometimes I pretend I'm fancy <laughs> as I drink out of a can. I'm as fancy as fuck. <laughs> oh, there it is again. <laughs> oh, well, we I probably think with should. that, we should close out our task. I don't want to get kicked out, you know. <clears throat> I don't know. This place is pretty uh, sweet. Pretty cool. <laughs> I don't think they'll kick Thanks, us out. Guys. <laughs> all right until next monday (laughs) until next monday drink beer (laughs) yeah good beer drink good beer tip your i know and tip your it seems so silly to even say that but when you can finally um tip your um tip your person that you're picking up to go beer from Mm -hmm. yeah that okie dokie dudes okay (laughs) <laughs> for more information we can be found on instagram at seattle underscore on underscore tap email at seattle on tap at gmail.com or our website seattle on tap.com you can also like us on facebook and all of the Seattle on Tap original music is provided by Bubble Bathism, courtesy of the Subterranot Recording Collective.